Tonight here at GDM, we're going to continue down our, our Bible series, and tonight we're going to be talking about the Psalms. The Psalms are one of those books that I get frustrated with because I think that a lot of Christians escape into the Psalms because they don't want to hear the Holy Spirit talk to them about their sin. So they start reading in the New Testament and something begins to, to happen and they don't like it because it makes them want to have to change and they flip over to the Psalms and they get a feel-good feeling. <clears throat> However, Jesus is faithful that if you're reading them and being diligent about reading them, you're going to run into Jesus anyway. And I have to let go of my little pet peeve and realize that God's bigger than me and what I think. Well, as I was looking into this and trying to <clears throat> to be able to explain certain things, that the Psalms stretched throughout the history of the Israelite nation as they wandered through the wilderness. And, and even after they were in the promised land, there is literally 150 poems that they've made into Psalms, some of them were hymns, some of, a lot of it's poetry. It's written by more than five authors. David wrote about half of them. There's a couple of other people that wrote two or three or 20 or 30. Um, a third of them are anonymous. They're not really sure who wrote them. But a lot of times that they were songs that they would worship God to. So it was almost like they were written to have choir, to have worship in the temple. But a lot of times, people would write about what's going on. You know, I've accused David of being bipolar, because one minute he's like praising the Lord, and then he's like, why have you forsaken me? But as you really look at it, you know, that it's talking about getting into his presence over and over and over again. It's talking about God being faithful over and over and over again. It's talking about going through hardships, but God. That you're never going to see one of these Psalms that at some point in the Psalm, it does not point you back to God. Because God is our answer. You know, some say that it was like a second Torah. You know, the, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. As Christians, we would call it the Pentateuch. It's the books that Moses wrote. But at, they believe that the Psalms were com <clears throat> compressed together after, you know, they'd been exiled from, you know, into Babylon. And it was a way for them to get back into the presence of God because they drifted into law. They drifted into regulations. They drifted into relation or, uh, uh, religion and they strayed away from relationship. And the Psalms were a book that was written that you could read three a day and you would read the entire book over and over and over again throughout the year as you were reading other parts of what they would consider either the Torah or the minor and, and major prophets. So, you know, it was there to point us back to God, you know. The Psalms kind of ends with a declaration. 
you know, and this is where we, we really get the hallelujah, you know, and it really meant praise Yah, praise God, you know, and it was a stance that they were going to take that no matter what, we're going to praise God, you know, and it's so important that no matter what we're going through, we're learning to praise God because we don't always understand our circumstances. But there's so much in this this book. There's 150 different poems, and there's so many little tidbits. You know, you could focus on David. You could focus on, you know, the couple that Solomon or Moses wrote. The sons of Korah wrote about 30 of them. But as I was praying and and trying to, to study the Lord was whispering in my ear to talk about Psalm 23. Um, it's a powerful scripture, and it basically boils down the Bible, if you ask me. So I'm going to read it and do my best to try to make sense of it all. The Psalm 23 starts with, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, David wrote this, and he was a shepherd. So he understood what it meant to be a shepherd. And he was declaring that God was his shepherd. That as he would shepherd sheep for countless hours as a young boy and a young man, he would realize that these sheep didn't, they lacked for nothing. And how much more did God take care of his needs? Not his wants, but his needs. You know, and there's a lot of things I want in this life. But I don't wrestle with God as much as I did when I was younger. Because I realized that in God's sovereignty and in his timing and in his grace and in his sovereignty, he knows what's best for me even though I want to disagree with them sometimes because I think that I should be farther ahead than I am. But every time I try to race ahead, my cart goes crashing over my horse. You know, and many years ago, I was struggling with a couple, two, three things, and I would get so frustrated that God was not providing for me the way I thought he should. And he revealed to me that, Tom, in my grace, I'm withholding certain things from you because you're not ready for it. That if I was to give you what you want right now, your character isn't sufficient enough to be able to withhold my blessing. Trust me. Trust me that I haven't figured out. Trust me that I am big enough. Trust me that I am God. Trust me that I am your shepherd. And as I have researched some things, that sheep are stupid. They get themselves in all sorts of predicaments that don't make a lot of sense. There's a video that rolls around, I see it every once in a while on Facebook, where the sheep is like buried under the grass and the shepherd's trying to pull it out and it's fighting it to get back in the hole. Like if it was to stay in the hole, it would have died. You know, that sheep would wander off and put themselves in in precarious situations where they could be eaten by lions and tigers and bears, oh my. And the shepherd would have to be skilled 
at protecting them in spite of their wanting to destroy themselves. That I don't think that it's a coincidence that Jesus uses the analogy as well and calls us sheep. Because how often do we try to destroy ourselves? But this concept that I shall not want is tricky. Because shouldn't we want things? I would say yes. However, I should not put the thing above my shepherd. And the second I put the thing above my shepherd, I have an idol. And I think that that idol is going to satisfy me because the shepherd isn't. And when I let my want drag me into a desire, even if it's a good thing, I can find that I find a bad thing, even though it's something I'm praying about. And God would want me to have it. Well, if God didn't do it, then who did? I know from being in ministry a minute that if the devil can't trip me up, he's going to try to push me forward. You know, and he tries to hand me things that aren't mine yet. And through the years, I've had a lot of people that are like, you should do this, or you should do that, and you should do this, and you should do that. And I'm, I'm like, well, I want those things. But yet, if it's not God trying to hand it to me, I know that I can't sustain it because I'm still 100% in knowing that I will destroy everything that I touch if I do it my way. And the more that I continue to try to trust the Lord and do it His way, He somehow takes this guy that used to smoke crack a lot and go in and out of jail and continues to help other people find an understanding that Jesus loves them and that there's a better way if we live this way. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. How many of us have God making us wait? Don't we love it? Don't we just love waiting? He makes me lie down. How many times have we wrestled with him and he's like, just puts his thumb on us and we're like wiggling. You know, and it's like, until we get done with our little temper tantrum, he's like, I'm making you lie down. We are runners. I've been running my whole life. And when I don't get what I want, I try to find a way to manipulate and do it my way. And when someone tells me no, I will just do it my own way anyway. I will lie, I will steal, I will cheat, I will manipulate, I will hide, I will deceive, because I want what I want. And a lot of times I want things that aren't God. And I hate to admit it, but my heart cries out for stuff, things, people, money, status, a job. And yet God's like, I got this. Like, this pastor's green. Just sit here for a second. Like, I'm completely taking care of everything that you could possibly need. Just sit here. Be still. Lie down. Shut up. I got you. He leads me beside still waters. 
that sheep will not drink from a stream that's moving. It has to be like a pond or a lake, and even if the lake has got wind blowing it, they won't touch it. It makes them super anxious, and they freak out. How many times do we let our anxiety freak us out? And God's like, I got this right here. I'm just I'm handing it to you. I got this still water. Have some. Drink it. It's good, I promise. It's alive. It's living. If you if you drink it, you'll never want anything else. And like, my anxiety is making me freak out. It can't be that simple. It can't be that easy. It's got to be more complex. It's got and our brain just races, and we turn up the water, and God's like, okay, back to the pasture. Let me lie you down a little bit. Because the water's still, but maybe if you were, we might be able to get somewhere. And so often we're trying to help God accomplish our will in Jesus' name. How many times have we been praying for something, and then the Holy Spirit like tries to check in, and we're like, Ch -ch -ch -ch. I'm talking to Jesus. I'm talking to Jesus. I rebuke you, devil. And the Holy Spirit's like, oh boy, here we go. Back to the still pasture. Lie him down. He's rebuking the Holy Spirit. He wants us to have peace so much that he will strip us of every last thing to get our attention. And most of us came here pretty broken and with nothing. I know when I moved from Binghamton to Utica in 2002, fresh out of jail, I had a duffel bag full of stuff. That's all I had. He stripped me of everything, and he sent me into a new pasture. And I was attempting to get sober, but I was still pretty chaotic, and I was trying to do it my way, and I knew what was right, and you don't know anything, and you're trying to tell me things, and I don't need to listen because I know what's best, but... My thinking in my way leads me back to crazy things. And it took him a few years before he was able to get my attention and say, sit still, Tom. And even after I got saved and even after the Holy Spirit was moving in my life and even after I was reading the Bible on a regular basis, he still kept me in that pasture. I would say on some level I still am teaching me to trust him. He's teaching me that if I would just drink from his still waters, he would take care of every last thing. He restores my soul and leads me to pathways of righteousness for his name's sake. <laughs> he does this because that's who he is. Jesus wants to heal, restore, transform each and every one of us, not because we're behaving, not because we're sober, not because we went to church this week, not because I haven't smoked crack today, not because anything that we do, he's doing it because that's who he is. And so often we get the focus back on us, and if I behave enough, then he'll give me what I want. And we're like, your wants are all screwed up, back in the pasture you go. 
until we realize that he is who he is, we kind of hang out in the pasture under his thumb a little bit, kicking and screaming like little toddlers that can't get her bottle. Because we still think we're in control. We still think we know best. And until we have a revelation that what I know best leads me to the worst place scenarios that I could ever think of, there's not one person on this planet that's hurt me more than me. That my decisions destroy me over and over and over again. That until I let him restore me his way and stop trying to help him get what I want, I don't really know who Jesus is yet. And that's okay. You're in your process. But most likely you're under the thumb in the pasture. Kicking and screaming. Trying to give you still water and you're like, I want it my way. Because it's not about our actions necessarily. However, there is things that we should be doing. But the overall result is not because we read our Bibles every day, not because we're staying sober, not because we've worked some steps. He's the restorer of us. And see, I still go to AA. I am grateful for AA. I'm grateful for Celebrate Recovery and what they did for me. But Jesus is the answer. I am a big believer in working steps. I think that it's probably the best tool that any human has come up with. And the more that I read through the Bible, I find steps. Here's a step, and there's a step, and oh, look, there's a whole bunch of steps in this paragraph. And I'm like, more steps, more principles, more godly principles that a couple of guys tripped across many, many moons ago and presented as a tool to help people find freedom. Well, how do people in these programs get sober and get free apart from Jesus? Well, in my opinion, God's Word does not come back void. And as they're applying Scriptures to their life, even if they don't believe in Jesus, because of His namesake, He sets them free. Well, their higher power isn't the same as mine. God's bigger than that. And we compartmentalize in our religiousness that God can't move in someone's life because they haven't found Jesus yet. But yet, the Holy Spirit's the one that opens the door. Not because they went to church and they started to declare that they believe in Jesus. Because I've met many Christians that say they believe in Jesus, but their actions don't believe in Jesus. I've met many people in AA that say they don't believe in Jesus, but their actions say they believe in Jesus because they're applying Scripture to their lives. Now, you can argue that until the cows come home, and guess who's the one that gets to judge the heart at the end of the day? It ain't me, and it ain't you, and it ain't them. It's Jesus. And we get so focused on what someone else is doing, and also what what we should be doing. Well, they don't have this, and they don't do that, and they're not doing this, and they're not doing that. And guess what I'm not doing? A whole bunch of stuff, too. Oh, wait, it's not about me today, is it? It's about Jesus. Because He's the one that restores. Then I take a step forward and realize that I can't change myself and I start looking to God to heal me. Guess who shows up? God. 
I know when I was an atheist and finally I got to this place where I began to, to pray and nothing happened for several weeks. And one day I went to bed one way and I woke up another way. And just because I was speaking it into the universe and I didn't say God, guess who met me in that day? Jesus. Jesus started to wreck my life for him. Many years before I walked into the church and declared him as my Lord and Savior, he was at work in my life. Even as I sought out Wicca and New Agey, he's like, nope, that's dumb. Nope, that's dumb. And it didn't have to come from someone trying to beat me over the head with a Bible because the Holy Spirit's way better than we could ever be. Because he's the one that restores our soul. However, we know that that's heresy and we know that that's a counterfeit and we know that that's crazy doctrine and we know that that might be a call and we know that that's crazy and we know that that doorknob ain't doing nothing and we should be praying for those people to come into the understanding that Jesus Christ is the only one that can set them free. But you know what? I can't ever argue someone into the understanding that Jesus Christ is the only one that can set them free. Guess who does it? The Holy Spirit. And so often as Christians, we want to argue with somebody and I'm sure there's one person out there, because there's no absolutes, that someone got argued into relationship with Jesus. But it's a real low percentage. You know how many people got prayed into the understanding that Jesus is Jesus? The other 99%. Point nine. You know how, why I'm here? People are praying. You know why you're here? People are praying. He's the restorer. He's the one that makes our path righteous. Not because I'm behaving today. It's because he represents himself and he represents his name. And he transforms people's lives. Not because I decided to read my Bible today. (laughs) Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, and your rod and your staff comfort me. This verse has been wrecking me since the day I knew it. Because this value of the shadow of death, we each face it every day. However, it's an actual place where kings would go to war and there would be a lot of people dying in that place and people were scared of it because there was so much death in this one valley that they felt it was haunted and they would go way out of their way. They would waste so much time trying to get away from that valley. But every once in a while you had to go through it. How many years have we wasted trying to run from our valley. And Jesus is like, I got you. The only way through is through. And we run, we escape, we make excuses, we try to find a different way, we try to help him, we try to go around it. And at the end of the day, the only way through is through. I'm a firm believer that you got to deal with your junk. Why? It's covered under the blood. Yeah. The parts that you give him. The rest of it's covered under you. 
putting it in your denial closet and suppressing it and pretending it's not really there. And last I learned, at least in my own junk, it doesn't work very well. Because it's this emotional and spiritual cancer that continues to erode us from the inside out. And as much as I try to pretend it's not there, I dysfunctionally act this stuff out all over the place. Why do we blow up on people that it's not their fault? Because I'm already angry. Well, I have road rage. No, you were pissed off before you ever got in the car. Well, this person's rejected me and I feel insecure. Well, guess what? You were insecure and struggled with rejection long before you met the new one. Well, everyone's going to leave me. Everyone's going to abandon me. Yeah, as long as you have that mindset, guess what's going to happen? You're going to push them all away. See, many of us have to go into our families, and that can be the valley of the shadow of death. Many of us, our marriages might be parents, children. There's always a war going on. could be our job. Definitely it's the society. But the worst valley of the shadow of death that we have to face and go through is between our ears. Until we realize that God is with us and he'll walk us through whatever scary thing is in there and that we have to stop running from ourselves and stop using substances and people to try to avoid what's really going on, we're always going to have a new war. There's always going to be dead bodies. And it's so important that we realize that as I walk through this valley, I can fear no evil. Because he is with me. How do I know he's with me? Because there's a shadow. If there's a shadow, there has to be a light. Jesus is the only light that matters. We can turn off every light in this room and we can light a lighter or a candle. And soon enough, our eyes will adjust to that light and we will be able to completely see in this room. Because a little bit of light dispels all darkness. Darkness technically doesn't have its own definition. The definition of darkness is the absence of light. So if there's a tiny bit of light, there's a little bit of Jesus in your life, darkness is already running. And the more you fan that flame, the more you press in, the more you talk to Jesus, the more you read Scripture, the more you begin to behave yourself, the more you begin to to do the right thing, guess what begins to happen? More and more light, less and less darkness. More and more light, less and less shadow. More and more light, less and less war zones. Less and less dead bodies. He's always with us. He's always with us. He's never off big man in the sky somewhere in heaven just paying attention to China. He's with us. He's moving. He's always there. He's been talking to us all day long. If we could just get away from the distractions, we could begin to hear his voice and see that he's lighting up our darkness. He's always with us. Your rod and your staff comfort me. We don't like this one much. I don't like this one much. Who likes discipline and correction? We don't like it. 
you know, I grew up as a broken little kid with no dad. And I was reckless and crazy and destroyed everything I touched. That I did not receive correction. I did not receive discipline. And I got to wear beautiful silver handcuffs as bracelets. And this beautiful, and they provided my wardrobe. I get to wear an orange jumper. The more and more I run from correction, I end up in corrections. The more and more I try to escape discipline, Jesus puts us back in the pasture and we get discipleship. You know that his staff has a hook on it that you see in the pictures. And it's it's shaped precisely to yoke up a sheep and pull it back. That it would it would literally just walk off a cliff. Woo! It would fall down six, eight feet. Sheep can't jump. They can't climb. They're pretty pretty dumb animals. How many times have we just walked off a cliff? Like that's a bad idea. Yeah, here I go. And the shepherd would yoke us up, pull us back. How many of us have been pulled back? We've all been pulled back. Why? Because I want to do what I want to do. Because I have no discipline. I don't like correction. One thing I found extremely amazing is that when you see, and you all have seen it, you see Jesus walking with a sheep on its shoulders. It's because that sheep can't walk. Let me, let me, let me, let me just tell you why it can't walk. Jesus broke its leg. There's times that Jesus cripples us, so we, we can't keep running because we've been trying to run and run and run and run, and he's like, enough. And he makes us sit still and puts us back in that pasture and then gives us some still water and helps us to realize that he can restore even the worst of us. Now it begins to get fun. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. How many times do we get some Jesus and people start hating on us? Well, what about this and what about that? And they don't like me anymore. There's a million things that we've said. Because our friends aren't our friends anymore. One of my friends, when I got saved, he told another one of my friends that he hoped that I died in a burning car. Sweet. Thanks. I'm glad you're my friend. That when we follow Jesus, he begins to to show our enemies how awesome he is. And he prepares a table. He takes care of everything. He takes care of every last little detail. That he will feed us in spite of them.
And when the time is right, when we've sat still long enough and we finally began to drink the still water and we allowed him to show us that things needed to be healed and restored and as we're walking through things and stop running and as we realize that he's the one that's going to restore us and he's the one that's going to take care of us because of his namesake, that he's the one that's going to prepare the table and he's the one that's going to turn our enemies into our friends again. We can't do it. We try to drag family members with us. We try to drag friends with us. We can't do it. They have to see the change in us. They have to see that this Jesus stuff is real and it's not just going to church. Because nobody wants anybody that just goes to church. I don't want anybody that just goes to church. They're annoying. But Jesus followers that are chasing after Jesus, bring them on. Let's party. No one needs a hallelujah. Praise the Lord, brother. (laughs) Let me choke you for Jesus. (laughs) It's just one of my little pet peeves. He anoints our head with oil. To anoint is to cover. Does anybody know how you get olive oil? No. (laughs) You have to crush a bunch of olives. Then until we get crushed, until we get crushed for Jesus' sake, until our flesh has been broken off, Until we submit ourselves to Jesus. Until we know he's the one that's covering us. That that anointing that we talk about, we hear about, he's anointed, she's anointed. You know how they got it? They've allowed Jesus to press them so that Jesus comes out of them. And it's such an important piece for us because the anointing is what transforms our enemies into our friends. It's not because I'm behaving and not because I got a a cool bumper sticker verse that I can give them. It's the anointing. That when your words are not your words, they're His words. Your prayers are not your prayers. It's the Spirit of God flowing through you. That you lay a hand. It's not your hand. It's His hand. Because you're anointed. That things begin to shift. Things begin to change. Your children begin to get saved. Your your family begins to change. Why? Because you're allowing Jesus to change you. That you're walking with an example of Christ, not because you're declaring something that you're not technically living. Now, it doesn't mean you don't believe, and it doesn't mean you're not doing the best you can, but when we are obedient, He takes us to a whole nother level. That it goes beyond going to church and it becomes anointed. And He covers us and we can walk wherever and we become a light because He is in us. The same power that raised Christ from the grave dwells within us. That when we are anointed, you can walk into the darkest situations. You can walk into your family. You can walk into that job. You can walk into that neighborhood. You can walk anywhere you go and you bring a light with you that's not your own.
Because you are covered with an anointing that it is Christ, not you. Not because you know Bible verses. Not because you have 100% church attendance. Not because you work some steps. It's the anointing of Jesus Christ flowing through you that changes your atmosphere around you. That when we read about Peter's shadow healed people, it wasn't his shadow. It was the anointing out of his life because Jesus crushed him and said, I have a plan for you, and he was willing to do it. And when he was walking, the anointing that was on his life, as he walked by people, they got healed. Because it was Jesus on him. Just as the woman grabbed Jesus' robe, it wasn't Jesus' robe, it was the anointing that was on Jesus that healed the woman with the issue of blood. As we allow Jesus to take us in the places that we don't want to go, that are scary, that we're not sure, that we have to lay it down again and again and again, and as we're obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit, He takes us into this place, and that we become more anointed. It's not because we got a bunch of verses memorized, that it's the power of God that's on our lives. And that's what makes us different than a philosophy. And many of us have a Christian philosophy that technically is paganism with Christian clothes because I'm still serving myself. And it's so important that we know who we're serving. We have to know who we're serving. Are we serving ourselves? Are we praying for our own will in Jesus' name? Are we laying down our lives and saying, I'm ready to do it your way? This isn't easy. You're going to have to surrender it over and over and over and over again. Our cup runneth over. You can't fill a full cup. We have to dump out what we think. We have to dump out what we know. We have to get our mind renewed. We got to get some healing in our heart and healing in our emotions and healing in our lives and healing in our brain. And that anointing begins to flow out of us that we minister out of our overflow, that we can give people out of our overflow, and that the more that we press into Jesus and we say, Jesus, you are what I want, he overflows our cup and he's able to give it to the people around us. So often I got worldliness, I got selfishness, I got all this junk in my cup, and I'm like, here, have some. And we're like, oh, it's bitter, I don't want any of it. How many times have a Christian tried to hand you a bitter cup? Because it's filled with them. But when Jesus fills the cup and someone hands it to you, it's this amazing, sweet water. It's not the person, it's Jesus in that person. How many times have we been prayed for by somebody that we don't know and they know stuff? Because it's Jesus overflowing their cup into our lives and showing us that this is more than just rules and regulations and going to church and a philosophy, that there is power that flows out of those that lay down their lives. Surely His goodness and His mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That His mercy is new every morning. This isn't about being perfect. It's about surrendering yourself before Him again and again and again, repenting of your struggles, 
realizing that you don't have to have it all figured out. It's not about being perfect. There's only one that's perfect, and that's Jesus. That we boast in our weakness so that He can be glorified and shown strong. And that when the people around us see that we struggle, and we're not praise the Lord, hallelujah, brother, in it, that they see that we're going through difficult things, but we're, we're praising Jesus in the midst of it, it makes people like, whoa, there's something different about this one. That His mercy is new every morning. His grace is sufficient. His grace isn't just that you've been forgiven your sins. That that love of God comes and, and consumes us. That power of the Holy Spirit begins to dwell us and it gives us the strength to sanctify ourselves. Because we can't do it. It's His power in us. His mercy that's on us that gives us the strength to lay it down again and again and again. Why? Well, I've done it a hundred times, Tom. I've repented a hundred times. It's never been different. Do it a hundred and one. Do it a hundred and two. Do it a hundred and three. How many ever times it takes. Lay that thing down and know that He is the one that can restore you. He is the one that fills your cup. He is the one that anoints you. He is the one that gives you that still water. And He is with us all the days of our lives. It doesn't mean that our life is perfect because we have Jesus that we're going to struggle. We're going to go through hardships. Things are going to happen that are out of our control. But I know for me that it's greater one day in His house than a thousand days elsewhere. That I will be in His house the remainder of my life. And what I've also come to learn is that I'm the church. I become the house. That He dwells inside of me. That I don't need a building necessarily, although I need the building. I need to be there week after week, getting the teaching from the pastor, being plugged into the people, being plugged into the body of Christ. I cannot do this by myself. The second I try to do this by myself, I end up right back at the beginning like shoots and ladders. And He will dwell in us and we will dwell in Him the rest of our lives. Would you just bow your heads with me? Lord, I just thank You so much. Lord, I thank You for just one psalm. Just one psalm and You're just jam-packed filled with it, Lord. Help us to realize that all Scripture is inspired. All Scripture is to be our rod and our staff. All Scripture is to bring discipline and correction. All Scripture is filled with your power and your anointing. All Scripture is trying to shepherd us as sheep. Lord, help us to come before you and realize that we can drink from your still water that is in our hands, it's in our shelves, it's in our houses, it's in our phones. Help us to know that we can drink from you as much as we want. We have to take those anxious thoughts and put those things down and trust you. Take one more little baby step Take one more little inch towards you and trust you. Lord, we need you so much. Lord, I just ask that you'd move in this room tonight. If there's any of you that really need healing, I just ask that you would stand up. Just stand up. I know I don't normally do this. But if this message is reached into your heart, and that this, some aspect of this message has been ministering to you, that it's not me, 
It's not my infinite wisdom because I don't have that. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that wants to move in each and every one of our lives. So I, I just ask that you would pray silently right now and just ask Him into that situation, whatever that might be. Ask Him in to that broken place. Ask Him in to that struggle. Ask Him in. Lord, I just thank you so much, Lord. I thank you for all that you're doing. Lord, I thank you that you are our healer, that you are the restorer of our souls. Lord, I just ask that you would uproot any lies of the enemy right now in Jesus' mighty name. Areas of brokenness, areas of identity that need to be healed, areas of rejection and abandonment. I ask that you would uproot these things right now in your powerful name, Jesus. Because you are the restorer of our souls. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing. Lord, I ask that you would move in the areas of abuse and trauma. Lord, I ask that you would move in the areas of rejection and abandonment. Lord, I ask that you would move in the areas that we're trying to be in control and we get anxious. Our fear, our unbelief. Lord, I ask that you would move in the areas of our children. Lord, I ask that you'd move in the areas of our parents. That you'd break off addiction as a stronghold in our family's lives right now in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, that you would begin to move. It's not about going to church. It's not about even really being a Christian. It's all about you. So Lord, help us to press into you. Help us to seek your faith. Help us to know that You're the one that's going to restore us. You're the one that's going to take care of those situations. It's not our control. It's not our ability. Lord, I ask that You'd uproot addiction right now in Jesus' mighty name, once and for all. I ask that You'd break off mental illness right now in Jesus' mighty name. You'd break off depression. You'd break off anxiety. You'd break off bipolar. You'd break off a diagnosis that you would begin to establish Christ's mind in each and every one of us. That you would begin to establish the mind of Christ in our family members. Lord, I ask that you would begin to move and heal us of things that happened when we were kids. Areas that have been haunting us since we were little. Lord, I ask that you'd begin to uproot these things in Jesus' mighty name. That our identity would be in Christ. Not what this world says. Not what the voices have said. That we would find our identity completely in Jesus. Because He's the one that covers us. He's the one that's restoring us. Lord, help each and every one of us grow. Lord, I pray right now, if there's anyone that still questions, if you're real, that you would move in that person's heart right now in your powerful name, Jesus. And that you would begin to break down the things that are in the way of understanding that you are so, so good and that you are alive and that you want to move on that person right now in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, I just ask that you would break off the sins that bring the shame, Lord, that we've gone through the vicious cycle, that I, I keep doing the things that I don't want to do and I can't do the things that I want to do because of the condemnation that I face, 
that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Right now, because the blood of Jesus has washed away those sins, You are faithful and just to remove all unrighteousness if we would repent. So Lord, I just ask that You would move right now. If there's anything that we need to repent of, that we would come before You right now and ask for Your forgiveness and believe that You are faithful. That You are faithful in Your love, in Your mercy, in Your grace you'll begin to break this sin pattern off right now in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, I thank You so much for all that You're doing in this room. All You're doing in this city, Lord. All You're doing in our families, Lord. That we can't do it, Lord, apart from You. And I ask that You would overflow our cups, Lord. That we would be able to, to be a light into the darkness no matter where we go. Lord, I thank You so much for all that You're doing. I ask that you would move in the marriages right now, that you would begin to move in the marriages of those in this room, Lord, and bring healing. Lord, I break off the enemy's presence on their spouses' lives right now in Jesus' mighty name. I pray if they're not saved, that they would come into the understanding of who you are because you are good. Lord, we pray right now, if they're not here, we pray that you would move on them, Lord bringing a softness to their heart, bringing a renewing in their mind, breaking off the strongholds of sin, breaking off the hardness on their hearts, Lord, that You would move right now and that they would come into the understanding that they need Jesus. Even if they think they have Jesus, they would come into this place where they would bow their knee once again and declare their need for You. Lord, I thank You so much for all that You're doing in the men and women in this room. I declare Your hand to move, Lord, because You are good and You are faithful. So, Lord, I say in Your powerful name, Jesus, that we will be healed, that our families will be healed, that no longer will we continue to struggle in these ways. Lord, because You are good, not because we've behaved enough, because You are good, Lord. I just thank You, Lord, that You would move in Your children's these parents' children's lives, Lord, that their children would come to the understanding that they need Jesus. That they would see the light in their parents, that they would see the change in their parents, that they would come to the understanding that they need You, Lord. I ask that You would move in this powerful way, Lord. That You would move in this powerful way. I just thank You, Lord, for all that You're doing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, everybody, amen.